Well, good morning. Happy New Year. For those I haven't met, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the teaching pastor at our Creekside campus, and so uh, I'm glad to be here at Anderson. I uh, used to, I kind of lived over here for a long time. I, I was the college pastor at our Anderson campus for a number of years, but now I have the joy of serving at our Creekside campus. I hope that everybody here got everything they wanted for Christmas. I hope that all of you kids and adults found that everything you wanted came true. Uh, is that what happened? Probably not for most of us, because a lot of what we want cannot be placed under a Christmas tree. And I know for me, throughout the years, there are some years that I've walked away thinking I got everything, all of the world is right, right? And then there are other years that that wasn't the case. One year, I found that the thing I most wanted was in fact the thing I received. My family loves to tell this story, especially my brothers love to tell the story of the year that I received a stapler for Christmas. Uh, Now that may sound like the most boring story in the world to you, a story about a guy getting a stapler. But see, here's what happened is uh, when I opened up my stocking that day, uh, my dad happened to be filming Christmas, you know, on one of those old VHS cameras as we opened our presents. And I was maybe eight years old. And uh, my excitement about this stapler was wildly disproportionate to the reality of receiving a stapler. I got the box and I started to go, a stapler, a stapler, mom, dad, it's a stapler. I looked at my brothers, Dan, Dave, it's a stapler. I got a stapler, right? And I just went on and on and on. It was clear that all of the joy of my life found its center at that moment in this stapler. I honestly, to this day, I don't know why, but my brothers love to harass me about that still to this day. In fact, about a year ago for my birthday, I got a box in the mail and I opened it up and from my younger brother, it was a stapler. And it said, happy birthday, you got a stapler. And I'm not going to lie, I loved it. Uh, I still use that stapler to this day. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the stapler that I got as a kid, it lasted for years. You may not know this, a good stapler will last you for years. I loved opening that present. Uh, unfortunately, the joy didn't last forever. Once I had opened it, once I had used it, it became another thing on my shelf or on my desk that I appreciated, but it didn't bring me the same degree of lasting joy. That initial burst of joy just couldn't be sustained for years. And you may have found that over the years uh, with things that you want or desire. It may be that there's something in your life, something perhaps as a kid that you wanted, whether uh, it was, you know, a a toy remote control car or a basketball hoop or a My Little Pony or whatever it may have been. uh, You got that thing and you were overwhelmed with gratitude. But by the time you get to New Year's, some of the shine is already starting to fade, isn't it? That joy doesn't last even with all the anticipation of the thing you want. Uh, What makes it even more complicated for us is that as we get older, our desires become more and more complex where they're not something we can fit under a tree. So instead of saying, I want a toy or I want office supplies like a stapler or whatever it may be, uh, we begin to want more difficult things to attain. Say, I'm single, and the one thing that I want is a spouse. I'm married, and the one thing that I want is a nicer spouse, right? 
I'm married and I want kids or I want more obedient kids or I want a job or I want a better job or I need more money or I want to look better and lose weight or I want a friend or I need more friends or I need nicer friends and all of these desires throughout our lives pile on top of each other and so that at any given moment there may be one thing, there may be 50 things that we say, if I had this, that would complete my life. And we tell ourselves that, don't we? We say, if I had X, Y, or Z, that would complete my life. And then we get X, Y, or Z. And what happens? The joy of our heart is awakened, but it doesn't last forever, does it? Because the shine starts to fade. And we realize that the thing that we pursued and longed for and wanted for so long doesn't actually fulfill or complete us when we get it. Or maybe it is that the thing that we want is absolutely unattainable, it seems like. We want it. And we pray for it and we seek after it for year after year after year and we never get it. And so we turn toward bitterness and anger and disappointment because there's something we feel we are owed and need that we don't have. Let me ask you right now, what is your one thing? What is the one thing that you say, if I had this, my life would be complete? Now, maybe it's many things, but really be honest for a second. What is the thing that you say, if I had this, my life would be complete? Now, we are in church and I am a pastor, so you probably anticipate where this sermon is going. You know I'm going to say that our one thing ought to be Jesus, right? But for just a minute, don't jump to that answer. For just a minute, ask yourself right now. In the honesty and the quietness of your heart, what is the one thing? The thing you wake up thinking about, you go to bed thinking about, the thing you plan how to get, the thing you pray you could have, the thing everybody else seems to have but you. What is it? How much energy and time and effort and thought do you invest in that thing? How many of us in this room this morning have finally gotten the thing that we wanted and found that it didn't satisfy like we hoped? And so we chase the next thing and the next thing. As we look at the scripture and as we look at the words of Christ and as we look at the words of the Apostle Paul and the apostles who became captivated with Jesus, we're going to see this morning that what Jesus encouraged and what the apostles found ultimately was that nothing else we chase after will fulfill our lives and bring meaning to our lives like Jesus. And as we look at Luke chapter 10 this morning, that's where we're going to be. We're going to see Jesus make a very profound yet simple statement that of all the things you and I chase after, all the things we want, all the things we say, that's it, that's my one thing. Of all those things, Jesus is going to say, make your one thing me. There's one thing you need. There may be a lot of things you want. There's one that you need, and that is to know Jesus Christ. As we enter into a new year, as we go from 2016 to 2017, the exhortation I want to bring this morning is that all of us in this room say, if there's one thing I chase after this year, if there's one thing I seek, I want to make that one thing knowing Jesus. It's not that all the other stuff we want is bad stuff. 
It's not that looking for a spouse or wanting kids or wanting a better marriage is a bad thing. In fact, we are having a marriage event in a couple of weeks, and that's a great thing. It's not that any of those things we seek are bad things. It's that they're secondary things. And Jesus is always primary. So that when I seek to know Jesus first, then from there, my life begins to work in rhythm with the values of God's kingdom and the values of Jesus Christ. So that whether I get the things I want or not, I understand how God would have me act and who God would have me be in my marriage, at my job, with my kids, in every sphere of my life. So that's why Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's not that Jesus is saying, if you pursue God, you will get everything your heart desires all the time. All the money, the best job, the best spouse, the best kids, the best friends. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he is saying is this. Don't invest your life worrying about things that aren't going to last. Instead, center your life around Jesus first. And then watch how God aligns your desires with the values of Jesus Christ. So that suddenly your perspective about relationships, about money, about time, begins to make sense and you have a deeper understanding of who God is and what he wants of you in every area of your life. As we look at Luke chapter 10, that's the emphasis we're going to see this morning. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 10. I want to read the passage and look at it for a few minutes and then highlight a few principles. A passage most of you are familiar with. Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, that is, as Jesus and his disciples were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now this is the Mary and Martha who are sisters of Lazarus, whom Jesus ultimately raised from the dead. And uh, what we see in this passage is consistent with what we see of their character even in John 11. In that passage, Martha tends to be the one who talks more. Martha tends to be the one who is more active. She's the one that goes to meet Jesus to talk to him about what's happened with Lazarus while Mary stays at home. So Martha is more of a natural type A personality. It seems like. 
while Mary is content to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. But what you need to know is that in their context, uh, this was very countercultural for a woman to sit at the feet of a teacher and listen to what he said as if she was a disciple. Her job actually was to make sure that the food was prepared, the home was ready for when Jesus and the disciples came in. So here's Martha over here and she is working. She's got, you know, pots boiling and all this kind of stuff. And she's got all kinds of things going. And she looks over and I can imagine that uh, she doesn't immediately say anything, but she looks over and she sees Mary sitting there while she's going crazy, sweat pouring down her face. And every so often she shoots daggers with her eyes, I imagine, over at Mary. Who has not been in this type of situation, by the way? Who has not been with family and you're standing up and you're working and you're moving tables and chairs and you're making a meal and you look over there and there's your Uncle Jim and he's playing on his phone. And you wonder when Uncle Jim is going to notice that everybody else is doing something. And maybe you ask him or maybe you passively aggressively go, must be nice to play that game, Jim. Is that a good game? And all of this dynamic is going on. And finally, Martha has had enough. And she looks at Jesus. What's interesting is she doesn't rebuke Mary. She goes to Jesus because probably on some level she perceives that Jesus is the one who sets the standard for what is right and wrong. And that Jesus is the authority. So she appeals to Jesus and she says, teacher, don't you care that she has left me to do all of the serving alone? There are so many implied accusations in what she's saying. Mary is lazy. Jesus, you don't care. I'm all alone. Nobody notices what I am doing. Then Jesus, tell her to help me. And she places Jesus in the role of the authority figure to say, Mary, you know, she's, she's right. Stand up, go in the kitchen, and help your sister. But how does Jesus respond? Such a classic response from Jesus. Because Jesus almost never lands on these types of issues where we expect him to land. Instead of rebuking Mary, he turns around and he rebukes Martha. 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 Usually in the Greek And Hebrew languages, if you say someone's name twice, you're emphasizing it and driving it home. If Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. In fact, we still do it today, don't we? With with my son, if I want him to do something, I go, Samuel, Samuel, look at me, Samuel, right? You say the name because you want attention, focused on your eyes. He says, Martha, Martha. Martha, you're worried, you're distracted by a lot of things, but Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. I love that. I think right there at the end, in fact, there are likely two meanings to what Jesus is saying. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. One, because Martha, you're not going to take away Mary's joy and experience of me. You're not going to look over here and tell me to tell Mary to go away. It won't be taken away, but there's something else. Martha, everything in this kitchen 
is going to fade away. Everything you think you're accomplishing by working like a mad woman, your reputation, the great meal, praise from those around. Martha, well done. What a cook. It's all going to fade away. But what Mary has chosen will not be taken away because she's chosen the better thing. See, it's not that Martha making a meal is a bad thing. Service is not a bad thing. The point of this sermon is not to go home and tell your spouse that you no longer can do the dishes because you need to follow Jesus. The point instead that Jesus is making is one about priorities. Martha, when I'm in the house, there's only one thing that's really critical. We can always figure out how to find a meal. We can always figure out how to get the kitchen clean. We can always figure out what we need to do later on this afternoon. But at this moment, Martha, there's nothing more important that you or Mary could be doing than sitting at the feet of Jesus, your God and your Savior, and hearing what he has to say. You're worried and distracted about many things. There's only one that's necessary. As we look through this passage, I want to draw out a few highlights, a few principles this morning. I want us to ask ourselves, really, am I worried and distracted about things that ultimately will be taken away? Have I arranged my life? Have I invested my emotions and all my time and my energy and my money and everything in me? Have I invested it all in something that is going to fade away? Or have I said the one thing that is central, the one thing that is critical to my life before anything else is knowing Jesus? Because knowing Jesus is the center from which everything else will flow. So that if I want to pursue a marriage that is honoring to God, that begins with understanding the values of God as represented in Jesus Christ. If I want to approach my workplace in a way that honors God, that begins with knowing God. If I want to share the gospel, that begins with knowing God. Anything I want to do or be in life, if it's going to be reflective of the God who made us and saved us in Jesus Christ, all of it begins with saying, I want to know him first. Yes, to believe in him, but then to invest the first fruits of my time And my energy in knowing him. And so the exhortation for us is going to be over the course of the coming year. If you have a New Year's resolution, that's great. You may have a couple of New Year's resolutions. I would say put at the very top of that list before I do any of these other things. I want to know Jesus. I want to invest time. In prayer. I want to invest time in His Word. I want to invest time in worship at the center of my heart and the center of my life. As we look at Luke 10, let me just highlight three principles for us this morning. First of all, as we've said, knowing Jesus is our one thing. Knowing Jesus is our one thing. 
Right, let me be clear, not, not serving Jesus, not knowing about Jesus. Those are great things. What I mean is knowing Jesus. What you and I don't want to become are men and women who talk about Jesus and who engage in the ritual surrounding worshiping Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. We don't want to become people who endorse a product that we don't use. A few years ago, Oprah Winfrey tweeted about her love for the Surface, the Microsoft Surface tablet. She says, gotta say, I love the Surface. I've bought 12 already for Christmas gifts. Favorite things, 18 hours ago via Twitter for iPad. Now, some of you understand why that's ridiculous. She is endorsing a product using the competing product. She's endorsing something she doesn't use. We don't want to do that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. I ran across this great quote by Eugene Peterson this past week. He says, I don't want to dispense mimeographed handouts that describe God's business. I want to witness out of my own experience. I don't want to live as a parasite on the first-hand spiritual life of others, but to be personally involved with all my senses, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I want to know Him before I serve Him. I want to know Him before I chase after all of these other things in my life that I think that I need. As Jesus said to Martha, You're distracted by many things. Just one thing is necessary. And from there, you build the foundation of your life. And how do do we know Jesus? How do we know Jesus? Well, we know him through his word, certainly. As we invest in reading the word of God, not just to understand, but also to allow it to transform us. We begin to get a sense of what the values of God are. We begin to get a sense of what the purpose of God is for history and how our lives fit into that. And so when we invest in knowing God's word, we are investing in knowing him. We know him through prayer as well. Prayer is hard. At least it's hard for me. Typically because I am worried and distracted by many things. And so it's hard to pull away and take time to hear the voice of God. And to bring before him my concerns and my needs and my worship. But prayer is necessary to know Jesus. We know him through worship. We know him as we sing songs of praise to the one who made us and to the one who saves us as we engage with those songs as we think about what we're singing and we make those songs prayers of worship to our God we know him through the word we know him through prayer we know him through worship and we say I want this year to make knowing Jesus my one thing it's hard to do and here's why it's hard to do because as we saw with Martha, many things distract us from the one thing. Many things distract us from investing in that one thing. I have a uh, almost seven-year-old son. He will be seven this coming week. 
And, and I love him more than life itself, but he is the most easily distractible being on the planet. Some of you who have little boys, you know what I'm talking about. I can say, son, go brush your teeth. And he'll say, okay. And he'll begin walking toward the garage. Right? And I say, son, where are, you, where are you headed? Well, I have to go look at something on my Nerf gun. I go, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that right now. You need to brush your teeth. Look at me, Samuel, Samuel, look at me. Go brush your teeth. Right? He'll go back to the bathroom. 15 minutes later, have you brushed your teeth? I hear water running, little boats in the sink. But the teeth are unbrushed. Why? Because he is distracted by many, many, many things. Instead of thinking about the one thing. Now, I can tell that story, and here's why. Because I'm the same. You're the same. It's just that we become more sophisticated with our distractions. And we can hide them more easily. So I get up in the morning and I say, I need to orient my mind and my heart around knowing God. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to pray. But what if I have an email? What if somebody liked my photo on Instagram? That's urgent and I need to check it. Are the dishes done in the dishwasher? Is there dirt on the floor? And there are a thousand things to pull us away from the one thing. Right, and so that's, that's what happened to Martha. So Jesus says, Martha, Martha, there's a lot of things distracting you, but only one thing is really necessary. Right? And it's not just the internet or social media that distracts us. People were distracted before there was social media. It, it's schoolwork. Have I finished that last paper? It's my job. Maybe there's one phone call I need to make. Something with the kids, something with the house, something with that funny noise in the car. There are a thousand things that we can find. And I think all too often we actually run toward distraction because the process of knowing Jesus is slow and sometimes it's painful. Because as the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate in our lives attitudes, and actions, and thoughts and words that need to change, we resist. So it's easier to convince ourselves that there's something else we got to do. So we run toward distraction. We're not that much different from Martha. We're not that much different from our distractible children. We've just created what seems like more respectable distractions. Jesus again says, look, one thing is necessary. Because in a world that has fallen and broken, God is calling men and women who know Jesus Christ to reflect the values of his kingdom. The trust in what God is doing in the world. The love That God displayed in Jesus Christ that overcame sin and overcame death. Our world needs to hear that message. The world needs to see modeled love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness and self-control. All of the fruit of the Spirit. Because we live in a world that models every day the deeds of the flesh. And so as we know Jesus Christ... 
It's a slow, painstaking, difficult work at times. But Jesus would say, just sit at my feet and know me and hear from me. Don't allow all of the distractions to continue to short circuit the process. Ask yourself this, not only what is your one thing and not only how are you doing in terms of emphasizing your walk with Jesus, but what is it that distracts you? When you open up the Bible, when you come to pray, don't just say, you know what, it's Facebook. Dig a little deeper. Why do you run to Facebook? Why do you run to social media? Why do you open the email? All too often it's because we want to have a sense of being important and useful instead of recognizing that the most valuable thing we can do is give our time to the one who is supreme over all creation. And so Jesus is the one thing we're called to pursue, right? But many things distract us from the one thing. The author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Cast aside all that stuff that distracts. Look at Jesus and run toward him. Knowing Jesus is the one thing. And aim to remove those things that would keep us from knowing him. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your son. But there are so many thoughts in my heart and in my mind. There are so many reasons I run away from you. And then tell him what those are. And say, God, focus my mind and my heart today and tomorrow and this year on knowing you first. So knowing Jesus is our one thing. Many things can distract us from that one thing. And then thirdly, focusing on one thing actually makes us effective at many things. All right, the, be- the best way that I could uh, think about explaining this is, is to say uh, I was in marching band. I don't know if any of you were in the band, but I, I played saxophone in the band. Right? And one of the things that we would do at the beginning of every rehearsal is we would tune, right? So we would play a note, whether it was E or C or whatever the note was, we would play a note and the band director would add instruments one at a time. You play this one note and anybody who came into the room during the tuning time would go, what are you doing? That's not a song. You're just playing a note. Mm, Right now, in my band, the note didn't always sound like the same note. So we would work for 5, 10, 15 minutes, as long as it took to get that note aligned, right? It was usually the brass section that was way out of whack. <laughs> Sharp, flat, whatever it may be. We would play one note for a long time so that when it came time to play a song, it sounded like a song. Jesus says, Martha, you're distracted and worried about many things. Only one thing is necessary. But I think ultimately what Jesus is getting at is this. When you invest your time and energy on playing the one note of knowing Jesus, 
all of a sudden we can become effective at the many things God has called us to do. Paul would say it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Now look at this, as it holds promise for one, the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, investing in knowing Jesus Christ holds value, right? Bodily training is of some value. You don't have to drop that New Year's resolution to get in shape or join a gym or whatever it may be. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. Every area of your life, from your mind, your heart, your body, your marriage, your parenting, your job, the way you think about money, every area of your life will be deeply impacted when you say, first, I want to play this one note. I want to know Jesus Christ. It's a value for this life, and of course, it's a value for the life to come. Because those who know God through Jesus Christ know that there is an eternal life that will ultimately fulfill all of our hopes, all of our desires, all of our need for love and holiness and joy. So I think Jesus, if he had extended this discourse, might have said, here's the thing, Martha, it's not bad to cook. It's not bad to want to serve. But at the center of your time, at the center of your energy, at the center of your attitude, you need to place Jesus. Because from that center, there will be value for every area of your life. As you learn to love your spouse, for example, as Jesus Christ loves his people, unconditionally. As you learn holiness, And to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in what you think and say, in what you eat and drink and all that you do. As you learn priorities in the workplace and how God would have you conduct yourself, you play that one note and it allows you to play the song well. So that focusing on that one thing makes us effective at many things. Maybe this morning that you, you came in and uh, one of your New Year's resolutions was to go to church. And you say, you know what? This is the year I'm going to begin to go to church. This is the year that I'm going to begin to engage in knowing God and in my relationship with God. And I think that's unbelievably wonderful. But, but I, I would also say that if you are here and, and that's your resolution and you don't yet know him, then the first and best thing you could do this morning is begin a relationship, not only with the church, but with the God who created the universe and gave his only son, Jesus, to save us from eternal death and hell and give us eternal life. The beginning of knowing God is to recognize that on our own, we can't know him. We are sinners separated from him. We've rebelled against him. We want to go our own way. We chase after every desire in our hearts, except for God. And so God gave his only son, Jesus, perfectly God and fully man, who died in our place. He took the penalty we earned. And he rose again 
He beat death and sin. And all who believe in Jesus for forgiveness of their sins have eternal life. And that's the beginning. And then for those who have trusted in Jesus, we aim to make the center of our thoughts, the center of our actions and attitudes, knowing Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to exhort us to for the coming year. Give the first fruits of your time and energy to knowing Jesus. Maybe maybe for you, the best of your time, when you are most alert, you are most awake, maybe the best of your time is at five in the morning and you say, I'm going to get up before the kids get up, right? That is a Herculean task, at least in my house. And I'm going to invest the best of my time. Maybe for you, you say, you know what? The, The best of my time, the best of my energy actually happens after everybody else is in bed. Or maybe it's at lunchtime. Whenever it is, you say, I'm going to take the best slice of that pie and I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to invest in prayer. If I don't know how to pray, I'll find resources. There's tons of them out there and I can recommend them to you for how to pray. If I don't understand how to read the scripture, I'll learn how to read the scripture. There are dozens, hundreds of resources that we can help you with to say, I want to give the first fruits of my time and energy to knowing Jesus Christ, to worshiping him and knowing him first so that then I can be effective at all God has called me to do. Will that be our one thing as individuals and as a body of Christ so that when we stand here in a year January of 2018. We say that was the focus of my year. To make Jesus the center of all I do and think and say. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We find ourselves convicted by it. Because... All of us know, every single one of us in this room knows that we chase after uh, things that are not you. Uh, Quite often we chase after those things in sinful and unhealthy ways. Sometimes we chase after good things, but we make those good things superior to knowing you and we ask that you'd forgive us. And we know that you do. We know that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is always a new morning. Your mercy is new every morning. And so we thank you for it. And we pray that starting in 2017, we would make you our one thing. We would make knowing your son our one thing. That we say, this is what I need. This is what is necessary. This is where life is found. We pray we would give the first and best of our time and energy to Jesus. We thank you for your word and we thank you for this time. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year. Have a great week.